If you are just tuning in, you are joining us smack dab three quarters of the way. Can you be smack dab three quarters of the way? You can. You are smack dab three quarters of the way uh, through my run hosting and even better you uh, a podcast I'm doing with Mental Floss. Mental Floss, of course, a wonderful publication about all sorts of great things. They transcribe this podcast sometimes, and uh, I'm doing the, the eight episodes of this podcast with them, and I thought it'd be fun uh, to share them on my feed, too. So we are doing eight weekly episodes. This is the sixth of those eight, and it sounds a little something like this. This Mental Floss podcast is brought to you by Fiat and the all-new Fiat 500X. Compact Italian style made for American roads with available all-wheel drive, full-speed collision warning, 3D navigation, and European swagger. Learn more at FiatUSA.com or by scheduling a test drive with your local Fiat dealer. The all-new Fiat 500X, Italian for crossover. everybody, welcome to An Even Better You, presented by Mental Floss and the Fiat 500X. I am Jeff Rubin, and today we are discussing how to appreciate opera with my guest, Noah Stern Weber. Hello, Noah. Hi, how's it going? Uh, Noah, what qualifies you to tell us, to tell me, how to appreciate opera? Um, I am the associate producer of Beth Morrison Projects, and um, for the next few days, the uh, executive director of the New York Opera Alliance. So what is Beth Morrison Projects, and what does the executive director of the New York Opera Alliance do? Okay, Beth Morrison Projects is one of the most exciting uh, producers of contemporary opera to date. Um, There was a really extraordinary article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, which I am pulling up to to get a really quality quote for you here. Um, But it it was discussing this long-term partnership that we have with L.A. Opera, um, where we're presenting two shows a year out there. What do you mean you're presenting two shows? Like you're producing them? Like you guys put them on and bring the show? Like they provide the stage, you provide the show? Yes. Uh, sorry, we, we are producing it and we are, and we are co-presenting it with uh, LA Opera. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so I mean, it, we're sort of um, quickly becoming the alternative idea of what opera is. If you're looking for opera outside of the traditional large guild opera house, um, we are what you wind up going to. And what is your role in the project? What are you doing to get these shows onto the stage? Um, as the associate producer, um, we work with, or Beth Morrison Projects in general, uh, we work with everything from casting to uh, developing the ideas, uh, developing the ideas really from their nascent form to casting them to putting together a really great creative team, then working with the the composer and the creative team to develop a great show. And so it's really sort of um, being a Sherpa, I guess, for contemporary opera. You know, on this podcast, we have tackled some topics I'm familiar with. We've talked about board games, fireworks, pizza. These are things I know. But everything I know about opera, I've basically picked up from Looney Tunes over the years. So maybe a good place to start. Just what is opera? How do you define it? That's a that's a great question. Um, opera is the the... Dramatic art form, by, by definition, opera is a dramatic piece of work with sung text throughout. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're going for a very traditional 19th century idea, um, a zingspiel would be a play with music. And opera is, you know, that there's never rest, that there's, you're never just speaking. It's not you and I are going to sp- speak a little and then we'll sing a number. There's continuous singing. 
that is the basic premise of opera. But certainly, like, there's I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there's there must be like a Disney cartoon that fits that too, which I don't know that we would necessarily see as opera. Like, it, it has to be more than just the music wall to wall, right? I mean, there are certain conventions of of what opera is. It, it traditionally um, works with uh, classical orchestra. Um, there are certain basic conventions to how the the singers approach the voice and, and the way that a, a classical singer sings tends to be very different from the way a pop artist sings. What, how do you define that difference between the way an opera singer sings and the way, you know, a traditional pop artist might sing? It's focused a tremendous amount um, on, on, on a tremendous dynamic range and um, longevity of the voice. And I, I guess taking that one step further, that it's about projection and being able to work with an amplified voice. Um, many pop artists, uh, you know, without a microphone, their, their, their voice does not go more than five feet in front of them. And there's an idea that you're, you're, you're singing very naturally, in, in a very natural, very healthy way, um, that also has certain other qualities. And that's, that's sort of the premise of uh, classical voice. Um, with that said, I think that there's a lot of crossover and some really interesting stuff being done with... Um, Broadway singers who sort of mix genres, whether they're between singing strictly classical and singing sort of a crossover classical Broadway style. Are there any pop music stars you see that you're like, hmm, you know, they could maybe do opera? Bjork. Without a doubt, I would one day love to work with Bjork. Um, she's absolutely amazing. Um, oddly enough, our, our, our leader, uh, Beth Morrison, is a tremendous fan of 30 Seconds to Mars. And um, we are trying to find some way to collaborate with them in a sort of rock opera context. Um, and I, I think that works, pulls a, a, a tremendous amount into the work that we do. For example, the show that we just did at LA Opera, um, it was written by a, composer, a really wonderful composer, David T. Little, who began originally as a metal drummer. He, was, he's, uh, he began as you know, a rock metal drummer and... Found, opera, found classical music and began studying very seriously, but his, his language sort of has this very deeply rock-inspired thing. So there's an electric guitar, there's a synthesizer, there, there's certain things in his opera um, that you wouldn't necessarily find in a traditional um, endeavor. So we are already breaking ground in terms, you know, LA Opera just presented something that had abandoned it ostensibly. You know, if there's one form of popular music where the singing kind of sounds like opera, it might be metal, you know? And I'm thinking of, like, Rob Halford and Ozzy here. Like, there, there is something... Is there, or am I making this up? Is there something operatic about metal? Um, there's, there, in that it's very dramatic, yes. Um, I, I don't know that, that necessarily we're going to have any direct crossover. Gotcha, between. I'm reaching, I'm reaching there. No, 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 that's okay. But, I mean, there, there is a lot of crossover. One of them, another one of the stars from this, this production that we just finished up, um, just uh, was Tony got a Tony nomination for this great role on Broadway. Um, Lauren Worsham was in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, and so there's this sort of very fluid sort of process. And she she has this wonderful band, Sky Pony, which is a sort of girl punk. I, I I'm not going to articulate it properly, but you, one should really go check out Sky Pony. They're a lot of fun, and it shows just how dynamic a voice can be from doing all the way on that extreme to doing what would be more traditionally classical uh, singing. Does opera have to be in a foreign language? No. 
So um, are there English operas? I mean, there have been English operas throughout history, but starting really in the early 20th century in the UK, um, you start getting this, this real, uh, a tremendous wealth of English uh, language operas. Um, primarily, um, you know, you have Benjamin Britten, who just wrote some really beautiful and damaging work. Um, and then post-war, there's a, there's a whole flood of American composers, um, from Copeland uh, to uh, Virgil Thompson um, to um, Henry Cowell, who just wrote some, who, who, who started this tradition of American opera. And um, it continues today. I mean, two years ago at the Met, they did uh, Nico Muley's Two Boys about um, sort of a romantic relationship through early 1990s chat rooms, or I guess late 1990s chat rooms. And, and Amer- the English as the, the, the language of opera, or opera in the vernacular, the idea of presenting opera in the language of the people, wherever that is, is increasingly becoming popular. And obviously the traditional operas, you know, Mozart will always be done in Italian or German. Um, Verdi will always be done in Italian, but uh, increasingly you're you're finding that new work is written in whatever language the person, the composer, is most familiar with. If I go to see an Italian opera, how important yeah. is it that I understand Italian and can follow the the lyrics uh, to me understanding the show, to me enjoying the show? Increasingly, very little. The Met has sort of the best uh, possible situation where every single seat has its own personal viewing device where you can choose between um, five or six languages and it, it's just streaming to your seat and only you can see it and so you know if you're American or British you, you can get the English if you want to see the native language you can get the native language um, and they usually always have Italian and German and often French um, and, and beyond that um, most companies I mean that is by far the most sophisticated. So wait, uh, just so I understand, though, this is it like a screen in the chair in front of you? What, yes. what are you actually looking at? Yes, it is. A, it is an LCD screen in the uh, seat in front of you. That's very neat, but that's got to be like you know a fairly recent invention in the centuries-old art form of opera, right? Yes, that's like in the last fifteen years, I want to say. But you know something? Then there's been this big discussion about how much more open operas become. Since between that and everyone else using supertitles, meaning they're projecting um, translations in whatever vernacular you're in. If you're in the States, then English. If you're in, you know, wherever. Um, But uh, that's become an absolute standard. That, and even sometimes with English operas, so that you understand them properly. Because sometimes when someone's in a very dramatic passage, you may not catch any word. People, people will often project. Supertitles, because you know something—it's immensely important. What 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 I guess people don't always realize is how much time is spent on every single nuance, on every inflection of every word um, that the singers do. That that there's this whole process of really making it a beautiful dramatic art. And um, if you're not understanding the word, you're missing the the all of the nuance of what's going on. So in the last fifteen or twenty years, opera companies have really been working hard towards making it understandable. But let's say I'm not at the Met. Let's say I'm at just a, a traditional opera or, you know, uh, a less fancy one. Or maybe I'm a time traveler and I'm going back 30 <laughs> years just before this existed. I mean, yeah. surely at some point you're, you're going to have to wrestle with that, right? How do you, how do you uh, just deal with that when you're watching, a sh- watching opera? Um, oftentimes people will read the libretto beforehand. 
What is the libretto? I mean, I, I, I know enough about words to know that books are involved somehow. Yes. A libretto is the script. It's, it's the script without the music. So it's, it's all of the text. And oftentimes, um, serious opera people, before they go, or even just people looking to experience something in a new language for the first time, um, they will read a libretto with the translation next to it so that they can begin to understand it. Or you just read a synopsis. Um, and that definitely, and, and every opera company includes a, a, a sort of narrative synopsis in their programs to um, help you better understand what's going on. Are the stories uh, good? Are the stories critical? Or is it like, you know, because like, I guess with Broadway shows, I'd say the story's not the most, most important thing for many shows. Is that how it works for opera too? That is a wonderful question. Um, let, let, we'll, we'll, we'll throw a word out at you. Um, Gesamtkunstwerk. We'll say it one more time. Gesamtkunstwerk. It was this really great idea. Um, there, there's been this sort of ebb and flow of what, what is most important in opera. And there are times when it's all about the voice. There are times when it's all about the sort of... Uh, in, Fr- in France, for a huge part of time, it was all about the dance. Um, yes, opera was, was primarily about these dance numbers that you'd incorporate in. Um, and in the late 19th, in the mid to late 19th century, uh, Wagner had this idea that everything should be equal. The, the drama, the music, the voice, the scenery, everything is part of what is opera. And if you're really presenting a piece of dramatic work, it should have this complete thing. It should have this complete package. And I think now we're really back at that, that point where people are, there's a, there's a really, in the 1960s, there was this idea that you're, all, you're really focusing on the voice. And so you'd have staging that was affectionately referred to as park and bark. You know, you'd have a, a, a person who was hired for their voice only. And they'd move to a spot, they'd sit there, and they'd sing the aria. Audiences are now looking for a more dramatic experience where you may be running, you know, if, if your character is, is, is doing something dramatic at that moment, you'll be doing something dramatic. It's not, there's not this as much of a disconnect between the drama and the music. Um, and I think that that's really important. And so you, you increasingly have these singers who are really spectacular actors. It, it's a very exciting for, for people who are not initiated to opera especially, it, it, it makes them much more accessible. As much as having text projected um, so you understand it, um, having a, a, a more dramatic um, work like a play that, that, that really reflects what's going on instead of focusing on one aspect of what's going on has become really instrumental in engaging new audiences. Let's say you're selling me, but I'm an uncultured goof I don't read anything but Maxim, but I've decided that I'm interested in opera. You know, what's, is, is, what's a good gateway opera? What's a good first opera to see? Truthfully, I think that you should come see a BMP show. Beth Morrison Projects, this is your company. Yes, um, this is a company I, I'm, yes, I'm the associate producer of. Right. Um, the, the, the opera that we just finished up at L.A. that we will have an engagement of in New York in January, it's dark and it's grim and it's... There are unusual situations. There's masturbation on stage. A, a woman is semi-naked and dead. It deals with anorexia. Um, it's so much not what you would expect that when we were in L.A. Um, in our sold-out run, half of the people in the audience had never been to an opera before. And 
I personally think that we bring something very visceral and new to get people into it. But if you're looking for something traditional, if you're looking to find a gateway into traditional opera, uh, one of the standards, there are two standards. Bizet's Carmen, which is about a um, woman and her and a, 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 an affair with a toreador, with a bullfighter. That's, that's sort of a real classic for uh, really great on-the-sleeve drama, um, beautiful music that, that is easy to, to wrap your head around, um, and uh, some, re- so some really great dance numbers. Um, the other one is Mozart's Magic Flute, uh, Die Zauberflute, um, which just has this appeal that, that sort of transcends all genres. It, it, anyone can, I won't say anybody, if you're going to like opera, you'll like the Magic Flute. It's, it's exceptionally well-crafted, but it's fun, and it's light, and it's beautiful, and it's quirky, and it's funny, and there's just... The Magic Flute is sort of the, the, the one of the best intro to operas. What about the other side of that coin? Are there any operas that I should maybe avoid until I'm a little more comfortable with the form? Speaking in very, very rough generalities, um, if you're looking at the, the mid to late 19th century, the, you, you, you tend to find this, this, these operas that were written during a time when there was so much hype about opera that in, in a certain way you wind up needing a certain amount of real obsession. Obviously there are exceptions. There are exceptions across the board within that. But, but that's when you tend to approach the sort of, you know, the four or five hour operas um, that can at times move at a very slow pace. And I love them. It's just that they sometimes take a little more finessing. So, I, I, you know, you mentioned any, any single composer, and there are works that you can find accessible within them. But um, there are certain Faraday operas that, that can be five hours and, and move a little slow. And it's generally, you know, if an opera is pushing three and a half you know that it's going to move, and, and over three and a half hours, you know that it's pushing sort of a dra- dramatic limit that an un- uninitiated person may not necessarily be as comfortable with. Right. Aren't some operas like many, many, many hours? Don't they, don't they really push the limits? Yes. Um, I mean, What's the longest opera you've ever been to? Six. Six um, hours? You know, any, there's got to be an intermission. Yes, there are two intermissions within that six-hour opera. But, um, you know, it's definitely an all-day affair. You leave work at like 3 o'clock. You, you, you sort of pace your entire diet out. You know, you, you don't have too much coffee in the morning. Your your entire day is structured around being prepared for this opera because you really want to experience it. You're you're going, you're committing to something. Uh, and you know, there's certain pieces of theater. There are certain string quartets that are six or eight hours long. Um, and um, it's the same basic idea that you're you're in for an experience, not a night on the town. Right. Right. And um, you know that obviously is for somebody who's not, you know, stumbling in off the street looking for a Broadway show. Is the what if I'm looking for a quick fix? Is there any opera like a recording that's on Spotify or a similar service that you could recommend? Is opera even on Spotify and similar services? Yes. A tremendous amount of opera is available through Spotify, through Amazon, through uh, iTunes, you know, through all of the streaming services. And I think that's what's so cool about those services, by the way. Or one neat thing about them is that you can Go try listening to an opera tonight. I don't know. Yeah. 
So, so where should people go? What, what, what's like a what's a good gateway drug for opera? Okay, give me a sec. I'm gonna need to brainstorm this one. Um, and I'll make it. I'll make a terrible confession. I don't listen to recorded music. Well, um, it seems like it's interesting because you defined opera singing by saying that it's like loud and it sounds like it's almost defined by its live presence. So it seems like recorded. Is it a different animal? Yes, and that's that's the point. And if you've ever been a part of, part of a recording process, and I think it's an amazing thing to be a part of a recording process, but part of it is very unnatural. It's, you know, you're sitting recording the same 30 seconds 40 times, and um, it's more about an accuracy than it is about this extraordinary musical product. And I think specifically with opera, I mean, truthfully, if you want a gateway drug to opera, go see one, because a recording can sometimes be a little, uh, you're, you're missing part of the experience. It's like, okay, Taylor Swift will record something for the sake of it being recorded. That is the primary thing, and she tours on the side. And I think really with opera, the primary thing is for its live performance. And recordings are great. Recordings are amazing, but it was meant to be done live. And, and that's really the way that you get the full impact of it. Once I'm there, once I'm at the opera seeing the show live, what should I be looking for? Like, what separates a good performance from the Magic Flute from a great performance of the Magic Flute? I think you should go to enjoy yourself. Um, everybody is looking for something different. My wife is actually, uh, she's a music critic, and it, it's very interesting to, to see the way that people respond to certain things and certain things that we really, that she or I will respond negatively to. Um, the audience will completely disagree with, and that's that's totally fine because um, we're looking for different things. But generally, you just want to be engaged. You want to be sucked into that. You know, the idea of of any drama is that you're suspending disbelief for a right. moment. There's you know, there's you're you're taken into something, and as long as you're taken into something, you know, presumably the singer should sound great. The singer should sound great. The orchestra should sound great. Um, but um, I truthfully think that it's about the package. And if you believe what's going on, then they've done their job right. And if you're moved, they've done their job right. You know, a lot of people are just unfamiliar with opera. And, you know, maybe they just assume that they're uninterested in opera. What would you say to those people uh, to convince them to get on board? How do, you, how do you convince them that opera is worth checking out? There's something so visceral, something so just immersive in opera that you can, you're, you're, you're astounded by somebody's physical capacity. They will be seeing something that, that has great dynamic range that, you know, um, opera singers have generally a greater capacity than just about anybody. Um, they're trained from a, from a fairly young age and, and trained in a very specific way that it's sort of like they're, they're elite athletes. And you, you have these extreme athletes on stage doing fantastical things, and you're in a moment. And sorry, I'm not, I'm not really giving you a great answer to this. I'm sorry about that. Um, trying to figure out how to answer that question. I would actually say just don't assume it's what you know. Opera's a, opera's a wild beast, and people assume certain things about it and I think they'd be really 
pleasantly surprised if they wind up walking into the vast majority of opera houses um, in this day and age. When you're looking, you know, and you're thinking about the future of opera and you're producing the future of opera in a way, or, or at least trying to put it together, what, what are you looking for? Like, where are you looking for this to go? Um, we want strong, captivating drama. We want experiences that, that overwhelm you in a great way. Um, that that you come away shaking, that you come away giddy, and and, and that's really what I think a lot of companies are doing. They're they're working with much more uh, a lot of multimedia, and you know, video, extreme lighting, um, sound design that you normally don't that you wouldn't expect in opera, and that's increasingly changing for the positive. That we're we're increasingly moving moving towards that as. The notion of what opera is changes. How do you discover new operas? Like, you know, if you were looking for comedians, you go to comedy clubs and, like, see what's going on underground. Is there an equivalent of that for opera? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of really great resources. Well, Opera America is a really great resource for just learning about what's going on in opera, period. Um, they will – they have many local um, – many the – um, distribution services and such um, so that you can find out what's going on in your area. But beyond that, um, it, it's sort of a very regionally specific scene. Like in your own town or in your own city, you will have those one or two companies that are, or New York, like the 10 companies that are producing uh, new work. And it's, you can usually see it in the press coverage um, because it's something new. And, it's, and people tend to write, as long as you have a classical music writer, um, at the paper, people will write about what is new. If you're just looking generally, uh, New Music Box is an online service. That's a, uh, it's an online magazine that uh, distributes a lot of stuff. I Care If You Listen is an is a e-mag that uh, covers a lot of what's going on in contemporary music and contemporary opera now. I have to assume, like everything else, there's like an active online community, right? Yeah. Um, and if you want a sampling, if you're like, I want to see what's happening in new opera, you come to the Prototype Festival. Um, it happens in uh, every January in New York City. You can see seven operas in three days as part of this festival. A package for all seven is usually never more than 150. It's usually around 125 dollars, but never more than 150. And you know, last year we had an uh, there was an opera with Courtney Love in it. There was an opera that brought in 25 young. Choristers from um, from uh, Slovenia who who put on this epic uh, stage work, and it's it's just sort of a, a taste of what is happening. And if you happen to find yourself in New York in January, uh, Prototype Festival is definitely worth checking out. How many shows is the Beth Morrison Project putting together every year? Um, <laughs> we are actually doubling our our, our size next year. Um, we are putting together. Um, I, I, I want to say 16 different shows um, over the course of the season. Um, and they're everywhere from we've got two shows at BAM's Next Wave Festival. We have two shows at LA Opera. We have um, shows up in Boston in, uh, at, at Virginia Tech, at the Cranard Center, at the Walker Center in Minneapolis. It's, it's, sort of, it's, a, it's a touring company that has a huge amount of stuff going on around the country. And how can people find out more about the Beth Morrison Project? Check it out themselves. Um, you go to Beth Morrison Projects, uh, plural, dot org, Beth Morrison Projects, dot org. 
and um, there's sort of a summary. We're going to be announcing our new season in mid-July, so um, stay tuned for that. But um, already some of the presenters have announced. So um, there are two shows at BAM. Um, their LA Opera's announced their season. CTG's announced its Courtney Love show that we're doing. Um, What's the Courtney Love show? Uh, we have a, a rock concept opera with Courtney Love. Uh, we premiered it last January. And we're doing a one-week run at the American Repertory Theater in Boston next fall, followed immediately by a three-week run at Center Theater Group in L.A. And um, it's a two leads, Courtney Love and the composer uh, Todd Almond, and then a chorus of six uh, sirens. And it, it follows this love, it's a love story. And the Courtney Love character... Um, She's, she's in love with this boy, and she leaves home because her small town can't give her what she wants. And um, this is sort of told through a series of flashbacks because the, the, the boy finds out that uh, she's died and sort of relives his entire romance with her over the course of this opera. And it's a really extraordinary work, and it was really exciting to get covered in some periodicals like... Um, Pitchfork and Rolling Stone that, you know, you don't normally see opera covered in. That's cool. We enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like opera is uh, really having a moment. Noah, thank you so much for coming by, telling us all about it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. This Metal Floss podcast was brought to you by Fiat and the all-new Fiat 500X. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to An Even Better You on iTunes or SoundCloud, and be sure to visit metalfloss.com.